you have got this opportunity for a reason and you are not going to be perfect the first time, but you'll do it again and again and you will get better. <laughs> Try not to be perfect on the first shot because it's, it's just too much pressure. G'day guys, coming up on the show today is Sarah Bird. Sarah is a sports journalist, commentator, MC, and presenter, predominantly in the AFL and AFLW. Sarah has just hung up the boots at Channel 7 to begin life as a freelancer. And in the past, she's also worked in media roles at the AFL, the A's newspaper, Fox Sports, ESPN, and the Hawthorne Footy Club. More recently, Sarah stepped into host 3AW's broadcast of the AFLW. So if you're looking to work in sports media or get a better understanding for communications in sport, you're going to absolutely love this episode with Sarah. So let's go. I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final? You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision. Having a network is one of the most important things you can do. I didn't necessarily follow my passion. I followed my curiosity. Once you've worked in sport, there's no going back. And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello and welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry. I'm Ryan Walker. Joining me is the empowering Reuben Williams and we are two mates who met at Cricket Australia and each week we learn how people made it in sports. We tease out their career decisions, their work habits, skills and everything that they do that makes them great. Also that you can get in, get promoted and get thriving in the sports industry. Rubes. How are you, my friend? G'day, Ryan. I'm doing very well, thank you. It's been an interesting week this week. I'm currently on the, the south coast of Turkey in a town called Oladeniz, which uh, happens to be the paragliding capital of the world. If you look up into the sky, it's just littered with paragliders. It's quite spectacular. But um, I almost didn't make it through the week this week because we're in the paragliding capital of the world. I thought I have to try out paragliding with my, my partner, Chloe. So we go up to the top of this mountain that's, you know, 1900 meters tall and we, uh, we jump off the mountain and, and begin paragliding. And, uh, there was a lot of nerves just to get to that point alone. But once you're sitting up there, it's, it's incredible. You're, you know, you're above the clouds, you've got a bird's eye view of everything. It's, um, amazing. And uh, so Chloe and I are floating along and we're thinking, this is pretty good. It's pretty cute. Why don't we get a photo together paragliding as a couple? And so I kind of called out to Chloe and I said, hey, Chloe, get your guy to bring your paraglide over here and we'll get a, we'll get a selfie on the GoPro. And uh, Chloe just starts coming closer and closer and closer and closer. And she was like on the trajectory of her feet heading straight into the top of my parachute. And I was looking at her going, she's, she can't slow down here. Like she's, she's not stopping. And she kept getting closer and closer and closer. And then eventually she disappeared behind my parachute. And I thought, oh my God, she's going to hit me. And for like a good three seconds, my heart dropped because I thought Chloe's feet were going to just go straight through the top of my parachute. I would lose all air that's keeping me up and end up at the bottom of the, of the ocean. And, um, thankfully my guy pulled away. We then saw Chloe up in a different part and uh, we were able to go back down to the bottom quite safely. But my guy said to me, like, do you want to do any tricks or maneuvers? And uh, after that experience, I was like, I don't want to try anything right now. I just want to get on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> but, just uh, get me on earth. Yes, yes, literally. So, uh, yeah, a fun week. A lot of, lot of uh, beautiful scenery down here. But, um, yeah, my heart was in my mouth during that moment. 
Yeah, I must say, seeing that on Instagram, I was uh, I was deeply concerned. It looked seriously dangerous, and you know me, I absolutely hate heights, so it made my disliking of anything heights even greater. Uh, so I'm glad you survived, mm. uh, and it's good that good to hear your feet are on the ground. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, I was going to say uh, we've got our final intake for the community coming up, uh, which is super exciting. Yes, yes, that's right. So we are doing one final intake of members for the sports grad community in uh, in 2023. So if you want to get involved with this, listen up because uh, I've got a few uh, special things that you need to know to make sure you can get involved. First thing you need to know is for this intake, we are going to be welcoming a total of 70 new members for the sports grad community and for the sports grad pro community. And um, the next chance to be able to join won't be until late February next year. So if you want to join before this year, this is your chance. And the the time that we're going to be intaking or welcoming in those members is going to be the last week in November. So 27th of November, I think is the Monday is when we'll open it up and the first seven who jump in will be able to join the community. However, if you don't want to miss out, if you don't want to, you know, you know, try your chances on that Monday and see if you grab a spot, we are allowing people who come to a meetup an exclusive opportunity to become a sports grad member. So if you're in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, and you want to become a member before it goes live to the public, get along, buy a ticket, because we'll have a little station set up where you can buy a membership on the night. And not only will you guarantee yourself a spot, but you'll also save $50 off your membership fee. Because as part of becoming a member, you also get a season ticket to all the meetups. So we're just going to deduct your meetup ticket from that price. So if it costs 350 bucks, well now it's only 300 and your ticket to that meetup is included anyway. So if, uh, if you miss a last intake, if you've been thinking about joining for a while, this is the last opportunity for the, before the end of the year, and um, you can uh, you can hack your way in by getting to a meetup and uh, saving a bit of money on the way. So, don't miss out on that. Meetups are coming up on the sixteenth, sorry, the fifteenth of November in Brisbane, the sixteenth, which is a Thursday night in Sydney, and then Friday night, the seventeenth in Melbourne, and then in Perth the following week on uh, Tuesday the twenty second. So, uh, yeah, new members before the end of the year, which is a pretty exciting, Ryan. Absolutely, and just a no-brainer to join. It, it, you know, way to end the year. You know, if you if you're thinking, oh, you know, maybe I haven't done quite what I wanted to this year. Let, let's start 2024 with a bang. I think this is it. Mm. Otherwise, you'll get to the end of Feb, which is when the next intake will be, and you're already, you know, you're nearly three months in already. So it's a no-brainer. We got some awesome stuff happening in the community. Heaps of opportunities to connect with other members. So. If you're looking to build your network and get that foot in the door and, and get really good at your job, whatever it might be, um, this is for you. So uh, to get on board with that. Um, Rubes, community wins. There's been a few lately. Uh, I believe there's a, a couple that are awesome for some long-time members this week. Yeah, that's right. So first off the bat for the community wins this week is uh, Harry Hannaford, who has just got a new job as competition and operations manager at... Uh, as part of the AFL, but he's based up in regional Queensland in Mackay, helping to grow the game up there, which is absolutely outstanding. He's moving from a a role in Little Athletics in Wagga Wagga up to Queensland in that space. So well done to you, Harry. 
Luke Richardson, new job as a stadium supervisor at the city of Stonington. Well done to you, Luke. I think he's about to announce a new redevelopment of a $50 million project that's just been completed. So what a way to start the job. Aman Singhal, customer service attendant at the MCG. And then in the same role, our good friend Pranav Sal has just picked up the same role at the MCG too. So uh, a lot of wins for the community. I think we're up, we've passed 500 roles in sport for community members, which is absolutely yep. outstanding. So well done to everyone who's a member and keeps kicking goals, keeps motivating each other, keeps sharing insights on how they do what they do or how they got their job because it's making such a positive impact on, on everyone else inside and everyone's kind of growing together, which we, we love to see. But if you are not a part of it, time to become a part of it is coming up very shortly. But otherwise, you can stay up to date with everything happening at SportsGrad by subscribing to our newsletter, which goes out every Friday. So jump on sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter if you are, would love to hear from us. Amazing. Well, we've got an absolute ripper episode coming up. So grab a pen, enjoy this chat with Sarah Burt. Before we jump into the episode, we've got a quick message from our good friends at Deakin University. Deakin has been a huge supporter of SportsGrad since day one. If you're currently studying or you've just finished studying, having a postgrad qualification in sports management on your resume can give you a huge leg up over other potential candidates applying for that same role. So if you want to pump up your resume and get specialized knowledge in sports behavior, law, marketing, ethics, finance, governance, and strategy, take a look at Deakin's postgrad qualifications. Their Master of Business in Sports Management is not one of but the best one in Australia, ranked at number one. So add a postgrad to your resume, and that's our tip for the episode. Sarah, welcome to the SportsGrad podcast. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Happy to be here. Sarah, we're so glad that you could join us on the show. Now, I'd imagine when you were coming through university, to work for Australia's number one TV station would have been an absolute dream come true. But you have just resigned from Channel 7 which is kind of the opposite of what a lot of people want to do with their career. So can you tell us a bit about how are you feeling the day you walked into headquarters with your resignation letter ready to jump into the world of freelancing? Yeah, it's um, it's a good question. And you're right, it definitely was a goal of mine. I think something to note when we talk about it being the number one TV station is I was in a digital role. So I was mainly writing for sevennews.com.au. Um still obviously is a really reputable, fantastic media organisation. But for me, I was looking to get a, particularly after COVID, I wasn't able to continue working full-time in sport during COVID and then for the year after, just because as we know, everyone's jobs and everything just sort of blew up a bit. Um, So I was actually working as a media manager at the Melbourne Convention Centre for a couple of years during COVID and, and after that. And when I decided to leave there and, and take the job at Channel 7, the idea was that I would be able to condense what I was doing on the weekends on the side, which was reporting AFLW and Netball with The Age and ABC. And I would be able to condense all of that into one job and um, A, not work seven days a week, but also really give my love of sports reporting a red hot crack. So that's when I took up that full-time job at seven and going in, I gave myself a year thinking that I wanted to build up that experience, um, learn 
I suppose learn what it was like to be in a newsroom and almost forcing yourself to write every single day whether you felt like it or not. Being a freelancer when I had another job meant that if I was too busy one week or I felt like I couldn't work that Saturday, I could say no because I had that fallback of another job as as the media manager. But this meant that I would never die wondering. Essentially, that was that was the saying that I wasn't going to die wondering what it was like to be a full-time sport reporter in a print digital capacity. So that's what I did. And I felt like I got a lot of experience. I got the experience that I really wanted. And the other aspect of that was expanding from just AFL. I'm pretty AFL heavy and um, I wanted I wanted to try and learn every other sport there was and find what the common ground that was sort of ticking amongst them all was. So I felt like I did that. And um, I suppose the one thing that accents most of my years is the AFLW season because I absolutely love it. And I mean, last year there was two of them. Um, so that was a big year. But for me, whenever I've jumped around and I have jumped around jobs, which I'm sure we'll talk about, um, I I always want to make sure that I'm in a place where I can work on AFLW as much as possible. So when I was thinking about what I was going to be doing for this AFLW season, I felt like I had a lot of other opportunities happening for AFLW that did sit outside of seven. Um so um, I felt like I'd sort of take the leap and 3AW, who I'm doing commentating, special comments and hosting work with for AFLW, they are owned by Channel 9. So um, unfortunately, a lot of those decisions do come into it in terms of um, competing priorities and competing organisations, So, which I'm sure I will be on a crash course of um, now that I'm full-time freelance. But that's a very roundabout answer to... Your simple question. <laughs> nice. Well, we definitely will get into your career journey. But Sarah, you did mention before that you've listened to the podcast before, which is uh, always a big tick when we get guests on here who are avid sports grad listeners. Uh, but you may know that we start our episodes with some quick fire questions uh, so that our audience can get to know you a little bit better. So I'll start off. Uh, you were just talking about jobs. What was your first ever job? Ever, ever 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 Kmart and they put me in the fishing section which I know nothing about and I was so jealous my friends got to be in the women's clothing section I was in the fishing section <laughs> <laughs> amazing and uh what did you study at university uh straight out of school I did professional communication which is a hybrid media course at RMIT and then I had a few years off, travelled and worked, and then I went back and did a Masters of Journalism at Monash Uni. Favourite sporting moment of your entire life? I was looking at the questionnaire. The, I actually, when you asked that, I actually think Courtney Vine winning that penalty for us, the Matildas, this year. I know it was this year and you're asking across all my 30 years, but that was that has to be one that you really, really can't, um, can't rub out. I suppose the only other one would be Ash Barty winning the Australian Open. That was pretty, pretty epic. It's a couple of Vine times in a row, Rubes, I believe, on the podcast. Oh, really? <laughs> I was just about to say, back-to-back Vine time, and uh, it's only been a couple of months since it happened, and I suspect it'll probably come up more and more as we continue <laughs> on. <laughs> Wonderful. 
And um, in terms of interview questions, is there a favorite question that you like asking of people or one that you enjoy answering yourself when you've been asked? I try to avoid the question of the first thing when you're particularly when you're doing something like boundary riding or immediately after a game. I try and avoid just asking someone, how does it feel? Because I, a lot of the time you get the exact same answer. They say, yeah, it's great. <laughs> and then that's the end of it. Um, but you do, you do want to elicit, you do want to know how it feels. So often I will try and pick a moment from whatever game has just happened. If it's after a game, um, and ask them how that specific moment felt, what it meant to them. And then normally you elicit a bit more of a, a detailed response. Um, so that's, that's sort of what I try to do, I suppose. Um, one other thing that I often will do, and I was listening back to an interview I did with Daisy Pierce in one of her last games was if you often ask them about who's watching them, who's there on the day. Um, in that one, I asked her if her husband, Ben, and, and their twins were there. And immediately her guard, not that I think Daisy ever really has a guard up, but um, she's very professional. And immediately once you ask them about who's there or their family or friends, um, they're still thinking about the context of the sport and, and what you're talking about, but you get a much more personal answer. You see sort of their warm, gushy side and, and you get that excitement out of them. So I do like to try and sort of marry the personal side up with, um, with the sporting side. Love that. Uh, what's one book or podcast that you'd recommend that's helped you at work? You've probably had this a million times too, but The Imperfects. I love it. I can't name... Um, I can't name one episode that hasn't been informative and just inspirational. I think it's fantastic. I love the episodes of Imperfect. So we're going off the quick fire questions here. I love the episodes on the Imperfects when they bring the, the psychologist in. Oh, she is Probably so good. Oh, yeah. Dr. Emily? Dr. Emily, yeah. So for those li- those listening who haven't checked that out, would recommend it is a great mm. podcast. Yeah, she's... um. What I love about her is that she's so, um, she's just got this real humility about her. She's so knowledgeable. Um, and even they'll say on those podcasts, oh, you've all been asking for Emily back and they've all missed you here. And she's really just not interested in any of that sort of notability. She just knows what she's talking about. And she's such a straight shooter. I love it. Sarah, are you associated with any grassroots clubs? Uh, yes, I'm a surf lifesaver. Um, so I still, um, I don't compete anymore, but I still, um, do surf lifesaving, um, and I volunteer still patrol down there and, you know, everything that comes with the surf club, you know, cooking snags and sweeping out the club rooms and (laughs) all that jazz. Lovely. Last one. If you had 30 minutes to pick anyone's brain, who would it be? Um, I think... I think it would be Ash Barty. She's one of those, um, I've been very lucky in a lot of my jobs. I've got to interview some people that I do really admire, but she's one person that I think I would get very, very starstruck by and um, probably not even really know where to start. I would love to pick her brain about her, um, the psychological side of how she got to where she is and um and also about her retirement and her deciding to make that really huge step when she was when she was at the top. I think it's a really impressive decision to make and I'd 
love to just get inside that brain and, and see what goes on in there. Yeah, Ashbari will be a phenomenal one for sure. Well, Sarah, before we dive into your journey, um, we'd love you to take us inside your role. You mentioned a few of the things that you do at the top of the episode, but what what are some of the other different things that go on in your world, whether it's journalism or commentating or presenting, whatever it might be? Um, walk us through what does your professional life look like? Yeah. So as um, when I went down a total rabbit hole in your first question, um, for some context, I've yeah just finished up as a general sports reporter at sevennews.com.au. So that was writing for the website and um, there was a team of six of us and everyone writes across all sports. So um, we'd yeah pitch, have a pitch meeting at the start of the day and decide what news was going on or um, any features that people were working on. I love feature writing. That's a big part of what I love doing and, and what I have been doing. So um, sometimes I'd have those going on and and then essentially you'd work on that for the day and um, and, and that was that. But oh, sorry, that's my dog Tilly. Um, <laughs> the other aspect to what I do and why I've decided to go freelance is that I have been doing a lot more hosting and emceeing work recently. Last week, I hosted the um, I, previous to the first WBBL Women's Big Bash League game for the Melbourne Renegades. They also use that as a little bit of a launch for um, the men as well. Um, so they had a lunch to host that um, before they played Brisbane Heat at Junction Oval. So I did that last week and I've been doing a fair few um, game day functions for AFL and AFLW clubs and a few best and best and fairests and, and all those sort of things. So I really enjoy, really enjoy doing that. Um, in terms of AFLW at the moment, I'm um, part of the 3W footy commentary team. So um, I do special comments um, and I do some boundary writing, but in more recent times, I've been up in the commentary box, which is which is really fun. Um, it's nice to be. I love being on the boundary, but it's nice to be in the commentary box, surrounded by the other people. You feel a little bit more like you're sort of part of the team and easier to bounce off each other. Um, and last week, actually, I've just stepped into a new role of of hosting the whole um, broadcast, which is a new skill for me, but um, that's really fun. So. That's sort of me in a nutshell. Um, and now that I am freelance, I'm I'm pitching print stories as well because primarily I started as a print journalist. So um, this week I'm I'm doing a feature on what to expect for the final round of AFLW for um, the Guardian. Next week I've I've got something with ABC Digital. So um, I think every week's going to look different, which hopefully is, hopefully that's the case. That's, that's what I'm looking for. So, yeah. So, so when you say pitch for print media writing, will you go to the paper and say, Hey, I've got this idea for an article that I think I could write for you. Can you commission me to go ahead and do it? Is that how it works? Yeah, normally it is. Yep. Um, after COVID, I did a um, freelancing writing course with the Australian Writers Centre. It was just all online and they literally do it in the form of podcasts. So you just listen to, I think, half an hour a week or something and you do your own, go off and do your own activities. And I did that um, after I was made redundant at, at the AFL during COVID. And um, that was, that actually I would recommend that course. It was really good. 
um, in terms of not so much sort of skill-based things, but because I had been to uni for that, um, I felt like I, I learned a lot about that at, at RMIT and Monash. But what I really wanted to know was what do the editors want? What do they want you to write in that email? What is the subject line meant to be? What do they expect? How much do you charge? All those sort of things. So um, I felt like that course was really good and that really helped me with that side of things. Um, and that's sort of where I got started. That's how I started pitching to the age. And then eventually I was pitching sort of one um, one by one. And then once they got to know me, then they'd ring and say, hey, you know, this person's busy today. Can you Can you do this? So I think initially it is about just sort of um, cold calling or emailing this idea. But I think the idea eventually is that you'd sort of get that relationship with them and, and they know what you're interested in and what you can and can't do and, and they hopefully would have you on the books and contact you if it was something they thought you might be good at. Nice. What does that look like from a like personal organisation perspective? Like <laughs> your calendar would be quite bizarre because it's like you don't really know what's coming up. I'm sure it would be like a different different way to operate from the traditional way of like, okay, I know what's happening Monday to Friday and I'll do a footy game on the weekend or something like that. How do you sort of handle not really being able to predict what, what's coming? Yeah, again, um, come back to me in a couple of months. But yeah. I mean, it, to some degree, I've, I've always had it because even when I have had a full-time job during the week, I've been doing bits and pieces outside of that anyway. Um, and I really enjoy it. It's something I actually really thrive off, but sometimes I do get a bit stressed about it if I don't write things down or I think I'm a big, when I get an email, I'll star it and then go back to it and properly, when I have time to properly read it, but sometimes you go into your emails and there's like a hundred starred emails and you're like, Oh God, like where do I start? And I'm not a numbers person. So when I see different dates and different things and different clubs and whatever, sometimes it, it all gets a bit much for me. But um, yes, my calendar does look pretty weird. I think it's also about just trying to go with the flow a bit and prioritise things. Um, I have a dog. I make sure that I go for a walk with her every single day. I don't need to, I don't need it to be at five in the morning like some people say it it has to be but I like to try and schedule I know it sounds cliche but I'd like to try and schedule some time where I know I'll get some fresh air and be outside because otherwise it's pretty easy to just get back on the laptop and and be looking for the next thing or feeling stressed about not having work one day um, and then another day you're sort of going to and from everything and I think for me moving forward it probably will be about that will be about stepping back and saying hey I don't have work on this, you know, random Wednesday when all my friends and family are working, but that's okay because I can have this as a day off because I'm working on Saturday and Sunday instead. And, um, I think that's something that will take some getting used to, to be honest. Yeah. It is a temptation for a, for type A personalities just to fill any spare time that they have with more and more extra work. And if you're working for yourself, then, uh, that temptation is, is even greater for sure. But, um, if we could go back to, right to the start of your journey when you were thinking about what I want to do with my life, with my career, join, you know, sign up for university, how did your um, trajectory into sports media transpire from that point onward? Um, when I went to uni, I always had an interest in journalism, but 
Um, and I always had an interest in sport, but they were quite separate. I played a lot of sport, but I'd never written on it. I'd never considered writing on it, really. I think I always sort of assumed I'd probably be a feature writer um, or do general news. I, I liked the skill base of journalism. I liked the research side of things and the idea that you never quite know what you're going to get every day and dealing with people, having to get out there and meet new people and tell their stories. But I didn't always think that it had to be in sport. And in some ways, I'm really lucky that I've found this, um, I suppose, niche of particularly women's sport, um, where I, I am really passionate about telling those stories. And sport has almost just acted as the vehicle for that. Obviously, I have to be interested in sport and I do really love it, but it's the stories behind the athletes that really drives me to to want to keep doing that and have that passion. So my first job, as I mentioned before, I'm a surf lifesaver and my first job out of uni was at Lifesaving Victoria in the media and comms team. Um, and a lot of that wasn't really sports-based. There's a sports side of it. There's a... Um, competing side of it um you know like I was writing about the cool and got a gold and the iron man and women and things like that um but outside of that there was a lot of writing about the drowning rates in Victoria and um uh fishing safety and so many different things dealing with different aquatic clubs around the state so many different things so it wasn't completely sport focused um but it was still that sort of health and wellness space and then then after that I went went backpacking um, for 10 months on my own. And during that time, I realized that um, something that really helped while I was traveling on my own, meeting people was anything sport, fitness related. Like you'd go kayaking in Portugal and you make friends, you'd do a bike tour in Berlin and you'd make friends or you'd go on a hike in Switzerland and meet people. And it was always based around movement and you'd always get talking and find out these amazing stories. And I remember thinking, I feel like there's got to be a job in this. And then of course there is, <laughs> um, but maybe that was the million European beers affecting my brain at that point. But um, <laughs> I did, I came back and um, started working for a mass participation company that were running at the time they were running the, um, the Gatorade triathlon series and the Carmen's women's fun run and the mother's day classic and, a lot of those big participation events. And I suppose that's where my love for being involved in, um, in participation sport like that, um, really sort of grew. And then, um, after that, I, I did a stint at Win News in Ballarat, um, which was my first foray into journalism. And then I, I landed my first full-time job in sport, which was at Hawthorne footy club, which is um, things sort of went from strength to strength after after that job. And I would say that job is probably the one that changed things for me and made me realise, okay, I really do want to be working in sport, particularly AFL at that time. Um, and I think I want to give the journalism side of the fence things a go. I was working in the media team there and I absolutely loved that job. But I do remember... Obviously, a huge part of that job is dealing with journalists every day and helping them to write the stories that they were telling. And often I would get this little pang of, oh, I, I wish I was the one that was able to write this story and tell this one myself. So that's when I went back and, and did my master's and 
Um, and then I went to Fox Sports News in Sydney and, um, yeah, it's, it's gone from there. So, um, that's sort of how I went from media managing over to journalism, but I've, I've jumped the fence a lot of times. You mentioned Fox Sports News in Sydney there, Sarah, like we've had a couple of, like we've had Kath Lachlan on the podcast before who did the same thing. Is that kind of like standard that people do that? a lot to, to get experience. seems like a lot of people are going through that pathway. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's um, a, a really good place to cut your teeth. It seems like a lot of people um, from, yeah, Victoria, there's a lot of people from Perth that go over there. I think that's where the big office is. And uh, in Melbourne, it's Fox footy. So if you want to go and do general sport and cut your teeth in terms of producing and um, it's also a 24 hour bulletin. So it means that, oh, 24 hour, or maybe it, maybe it's like 19 or something. Like they have a few hours off between like midnight and 4am or something like that. But you, you work these shifts, you really, you prove yourself, you learn so much. Um, it's live. So you may, it's, I think the appeal is that it's room to really just dive in, make all those mistakes and then. I guess if you live interstate like I did, then then come back home and, and you've got that experience. But you're right. I know um, Abby Gelmy was there. I know Georgie Tunnett. Like so many people um, started out there. And it's, I think, yeah, I think it's just that there's they need so many people because it's just a rolling bulletin. And it's a tough job. I still think about, you know, it's a really, really tough job and it's pretty hard to be really good at that. And I don't profess for a minute that I was really good at that job, but you learn producing and you learn presenting and, um, and you meet so many people in there. So, and you're in a broader newsroom as well. So I think that's sort of, yeah, I would, if it's still the same setup there as it was about five years ago, um, I, I thought it was a really great place to get that first sort of hands-on experience. The other one that you mentioned was uh, regional news. And I see a lot of journalists as well. They seem to go out to all parts of Australia to get their first bit of experience. Is that another common pathway that everyone has to go through? Yeah, I was always told that at uni that if you wanted to do any sort of broadcast journalism, you had to go country, rurally. Um, And even now, people that haven't, I'm always shocked at how they got to where they are because I like it for me it always felt like it would be such a huge jump um to not go through a a smaller newsroom I was lucky that I grew up in Melbourne and my family and friends are here and Ballarat is about an hour away so I didn't, I wouldn't even say that I had to suffer through the regional side of things. I mean, it was bloody cold in winter, Um, but apart from that, um, but yeah, that was, and again, that was general news. So that was less so part of my sporting journey and more so part of me building those broadcast skills up. But um, certainly that actually, um, that bureau isn't there anymore. And I know that um, quite a few of the regional bureaus have either sort of amalgamated or are gone now. So I'd be interested to hear someone coming through the ranks now what the recommendation from uni would be um, because, yeah, we were always told you've got to get out there and, and go to the country, but I'm not sure that there's as many opportunities available out there now. Well, well now with social media, like, anybody can start doing match reports on any platform that they like. Like, 
I um, we're, we're friends with a former podcast guest, uh, Will Taylor, who now works at Cricket Australia, and um, he was between jobs after he finished up at the T20 World Cup. And one thing he started doing at the, during this Cricket World Cup was start doing TikTok match reports, and his account quickly blew to like ten thousand followers, thanks to a, I think a lot of them came from India and they loved it, what he was putting out there. But, um, I love that. It's cricket, the creativity, isn't yeah. it? It's thinking outside the box. Exactly. But but now anyone can be a, a media person. Like, you know, we're probably an example as well. You know, we just picked up a podcast and started talking. So um, the pathways seem to be less and less defined, I think, in that space. Yeah, you're so right. And you guys absolutely are a perfect example, perfect example of that. And also how to utilise the different forms of social media. You know, you guys are fantastic at utilising LinkedIn. And as you said, with your meetups recently, you <laughs> Ryan was saying it was shocked about how many people rocked up to the um, meetup you had in, was it London or the UK? And um, yeah, it's that just doesn't shock me at all because you guys seem to pop up everywhere, but you also tailor your content depending on which social platform you're on, which is, is so important. You can't... Um, you can't be posting what you post on TikTok on LinkedIn because they're totally different audiences. So it's also about having literacy in, in those things as well, which is something really mm. you learn on the job. You don't learn it in uni. Mm, that's it. So I didn't mean to derail the focus on you into us, but um, thank you for bringing up <laughs> London. We had 120 people there. It was fantastic. But anyway, uh, back to you. What Talk to us about a match day for uh, when you are on 3RW preparing for an AFLW game, what does is, what is the night before look like, maybe even the week before a game day? What does game day look like and then afterwards? What Can you walk us through the sequence of events that happened for you? Yeah, sure. Um, it's probably my favourite. Uh, probably my favourite time is when I sit down and, and get to start planning out a game. It's lucky that at the moment AFLW is it's such a short season and I... Uh, I'm certainly not alone in in wishing that it was longer, but it does allow me to really hone in and focus on um, particularly one or two games a week. It's because you just can't cover them all in the space of, well, it's 14 weeks, including finals now. So it just, you just don't have enough capacity to try and cover them all. Um, you'd collapse. So um, I, yeah, I literally, I'd open a Word document. I have notes about every team which I add to um it probably should be a spreadsheet um but as I've already alluded to I like my brain just does not operate at all in like an orderly manner so spreadsheets or numbers just really bother me that, that's right we, we've spoken to Brian Taylor and Hamish McLaughlin and some of their ways are very old-fashioned let's <laughs> <laughs> start yeah. on BT <laughs> Well, it's, um, I'd be interested to hear what, what BT does, but yeah, I add, I do have a folder as well. It's actually sitting right next to me, like an actual manual folder printed out with, um, all of the old, like the people that have come sixth in the first AFLW best and fairest, like there's so many random stats in there and realistically during a game, you're not going to pull that out unless you know where it is but anyway there's a lot of stuff in there it's a safety net but yes I've, I've got a word doc that I'll add to there's a lot of copying and pasting that goes on I even and I probably don't need to do this anymore but I'm still in the habit of doing it as I say it's a safety net I print out the team list um, I used to have um, little 
tiny little pictures of each player in case I forgot their faces. Um, sometimes I still do it if it's a team that I don't know that well, but I'm, I've gotten quite good with the AFLW players now and, and um, tried to learn their numbers more than anything. Um, I suppose I know their faces up close. It's just more um, being in the commentary box. Um, you you want to know their numbers. So I do that. I don't really sit there and study it. I find that writing it all down and having it there and then just knowing where to find it is, is easier for me. Um, and then I go on a bit of a deep dive about facts that um, people might not know. So um, I like to, sometimes I'll do a Google search. I'll literally type in, Collingwood AFLW and just read articles, old articles about things that have come up and you'll often find really random stuff about like, what did I find the other week? Ruby Slicer, um, when she got injured last weekend, um, everyone was talking about how great she, I mean, obviously she's their best defender, so that's a huge loss for them, but um, she how she's so good for the ethos of the club and she's really quirky personality. And I'd read this random article from a few years ago. She told this story about how her dad, she grew up in Perth, her dad told her one time that she was going to see snow out the back door um, in Perth and because she was, like, annoying him or something, he just wanted to get her out of the house and she, like, stood at the outside the back door for an hour waiting for snow. <laughs> in Perth and like eventually she came in and realized it wasn't going to snow and I told that story on air and everyone was like where did you pull that from like you could have just made it up but you don't all this quirky stuff that adds to someone's personality and um sort of tells the story it explains to people why you're calling them quirky or why they're a great addition to a team you know this random stuff if you do a bit of a, a random google search but um the other thing is speaking of social media I spend a lot of time on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and that's where a lot of information about players comes from. They post a lot about their own lives, about their training, um, you know, everything about other players. Um, so it's sort of, I guess, if we're looking at AFLW as the example, I guess I'm sort of immersed in it for that those full few months and then you sort of, you know, wean off it and, and you start looking at cricket or or whatever else is on. But um, I'm very much like my, if you look at my Instagram feed at the moment, it's just all AFLW, it's all the clubs, it's all all of that. So, um, yeah, it's it's mainly the, the Word documents that I pull things out of and then just fully immersing myself in in their world. Um, random, random question, but are you friends with many of the players or is that something you try and keep separate so you can kind of do your job? No, I am. And I, um, I think sometimes um, I'm lucky in that a lot of the AFL play, AFLW players are pretty, they're pretty well behaved as far as, um, you know, any public nuisance or anything goes. So um, I haven't really had to, had to do anything about that. Um, but yes, I am. And it's, I think it's, it's a great testament to the league in general, I think that everyone seems to be able to maintain really positive um, positive attitude towards it. I think maybe sometimes there was there can be a bit of um, fear of journalists um, because obviously they can 
report on things that um, you might not want out there. But I think the women have come in and they're so grateful for um, the coverage and for the opportunity. I think that might be one other thing that they're they're so excited. They're finally getting the opportunity that most of them would never do anything to jeopardize that. So as I say, they're pretty well behaved. But yeah, I am um, I am quite close mates with with a few of them. And it's also about just knowing the boundaries. You know, if there's stuff that you know um, is really not meant to get out there and it's for the good of the players and the club, then um, you'll use your own discretion to um, to decide what's what's right for you. Um, you mentioned Googling things before and sort of thinking on your feet, but I'm keen to understand more broadly what some of those essential skills and experiences are that you need to, to do your job really well. Yeah, I do not think I'd be a journalist if Google didn't exist. Dead set. I don't know <laughs> how I don't know how people did it before the internet. Yeah, how um, did they do it without any internet? I had to like read I books. actually don't know. Um, and that's me. I need to listen to um, yeah, to probably BT's <laughs> interview. But um, yeah, I think um, one skill that I've really had to work on is just not being afraid to speak to people that you admire or that you think are far and above you or that you think are more talented than you or you tell yourself won't want to speak to you because nine times out of ten particularly people in media um a and exhibit a love talking about themselves and love talking in general so they'll probably be very happy to have a chat to you um the other thing is that I think people are really willing to help if they can tell that you're trying, um, you know, that you're not walking in there and just asking for a job. But if you're walking in and asking for advice and asking for an opportunity, people are pretty receptive to that, I've found. Of course, there's outliers. But um, I think having that confidence and having that quiet self-confidence, not arrogance, because I think sometimes there there is a fine line, um, then um, I think that's been something that I've had to had to work on is being confident enough to sort of back yourself in and and introduce yourself and ask the questions that that you want to know but I think the other thing is um is discipline it would be pretty easy to rock up to a game and not have done any research you could probably stumble your way through but you won't be the best and you won't bring things like um you know those little facts about people or um that added colour that really helps a broadcast, you won't you won't bring that if you haven't done the preparation. So um, definitely research. Um, as I said, though, I'd be lost without Google and and Instagram and Twitter. Um, <laughs> it's like I'm a real millennium millennium <laughs> journo. Um, I think one other thing is also networking, and it's what you guys have in space. These skills, it's maintaining those relationships and maintaining them when you don't need something from them instead of always ringing up a media manager um, and just saying like I need to speak to this person please can you set up an interview also checking with them when you don't need something from them or if you know something's gone down at the club and, and they might be having a hard time send a message and make sure they know that you're you're still a good person and you're still interested in, you know, their welfare. And that's where I suppose that line between being friends with people in the industry and, and um, just maintaining that professional contact is, is important. But I think catching up with people 
for a coffee and just having a chat or stopping at the game and, and asking them how they are, attending events um, when you're invited to them or just buying a ticket to events that you know will help you network is really important because I think some people get, um, I mean, everyone gets it. You get fatigue if, if it's a one-way relationship, whether it's professional or personal. And if it's if it's always one way, then it gets pretty... Um, things can get pretty um, tired, I would say. So also just not being afraid if people say, oh, like, oh, you're interested in, in doing that. You should, you should text me and we'll get a coffee. Always text them. Like they, they wouldn't offer if they didn't mean it. Just, and even if they didn't, it's their fault. They've said it. So just do it because <laughs> <laughs> it that. always comes, it, something will always come from it. Even if nothing comes of that specific meeting they might mention the name of someone else and something will come from that so um that you just you never lose anything except a couple of bucks when you buy them a coffee well we uh we know someone who wants to get a coffee with you her name is v trung and she's an intern of ours at sports grad but before she was an intern she was actually a guest on our podcast because she was working as a media volunteer at the fifa women's world cup and uh she said she bumped into you during the tournament i'm not sure if you recall this but um we told her that sarah was coming on and uh she was like oh my god that's amazing she was very excited to hear that you were going to be on the show and she'd get the chance to learn a bit more about you and we said to her like oh after you've had a listen to her you should reach out to her and and grab a coffee so we're kind of asking on her behalf here but um we'll make (laughs) sure we (laughs) and she didn't put us up to that (laughs) (laughs) well uh, no i'm the one that said it absolutely and i do remember that that was so sweet i was walking back to the media complex after one of the games and um and yeah she came up and said she loved my work and it was it absolutely made my night i was like floating for the next day and a half after that (laughs) awesome so yes absolutely we'll get that coffee for sure excellent excellent she'll love to hear that um, I want to go back to one of the things you mentioned around going from feeling nervous approaching high-profile people to gaining that confidence. Can you recall any two contrasting examples where early in your career you saw someone where you thought, I really should go up and chat to them or ask them a question or do my thing, but couldn't quite bring yourself to versus you know, down the track, how did you feel? Um, after you'd got that under your belt a bit more, when you felt a bit more confidence to just walk up to anybody and ask them a question. Yeah, I've got an example with the same person actually. Um, and I feel mean saying it actually, because there was no reason why I was scared to approach her apart from my own reservations. It wasn't because she appeared unapproachable at all, but um, someone that I have just admired for years and years and years the whole way through uni and certainly the entire time that I've wanted to be a sports journalist is Sam Lane and um, I used to just sit there in awe watching everything she did and um, even in the early days of AFLW the first couple of seasons maybe only the first season um, I was working at the AFL as a um, media manager and so not as a journalist and um, I remember being at some of the games and seeing her boundary riding for Channel 7 and just thinking, she's just, I, I want to go and pick her brain and I want to go and introduce myself and, and talk to her. But 
she's just she's just too good she's just too cool she'd think it's weird she you know this that mindset everyone goes into and I also thought well I'm not a journalist like I can't go and introduce myself to her because it's it's gonna seem really random to her she's you know and in hindsight someone that works at the AFL introducing themselves to you at an AFL event is not really that random at all, but you talk yourself out of it, don't you? And um, so I just remember really like often being in similar um, areas as her and thinking I I should go and introduce myself. I should go and do it, but I just can't do it. Um, And then um, a couple of years on, I had my own podcast about women in sport and asked if she'd come onto it. And she said, yes, straight away. and um we had the most amazing chat and I was just totally I was almost emotional after it because I was so just taken aback at how impressive she was and how generous she was with her time when I just have so much respect for what she's achieved and who she is and after that we've remained in contact. So I feel like a bit of a freaky fangirl now, but, um, <laughs> it's, um, a few years later on when I was, um, working at the convention center. So probably only a couple of years ago and I was freelancing and, and doing a lot of the footy writing for the age in a casual freelance capacity. And I asked her, I emailed her and asked her if I could call her for some advice, some career advice. And, um, she stayed on the phone with me for about 40 minutes gave me some really solid advice, um, was just the lovely and wasn't trying to get me off the phone, just had so much time and genuine, um, interest and care about the people that are coming up in the path behind her. So I think that's a a good example of, um, yeah, I kind of feel like I've been like staring at her for years and eventually got her to talk to me, but it's, um, but again, that, that, is all just me and I still absolutely admire her so much and the only thing that's changed is that um, I now have proof that she is absolutely the person that I thought she is um, which is why I had stars in my eyes from from early on anyway. (laughs) Wonderful I don't think you could have pulled out a better example. (laughs) Yeah amazing thing the other day I was at a function and Andy Lee was there and I was like full-blown packing my dax i was like i <laughs> don't think i can go speak to this man Did and you? i was just like i was just like you know what i actually thought about reuben is one of the best people i know of just like going and get like going and saying hello to someone or like going to get a photo <laughs> and i was like i was like if i walk out of here and i say i didn't go and say hi to him i'll just i'll just hate myself forever and what I did. Would Ruben I, do? I just, <laughs> he, oh, he'd just stand, he'd just go get in line and start meeting him, like no problem at all. But I was like, I can't leave here. Ruse would just think I'm an absolute idiot. Um, See, so yeah, I just joined the line. I was just like, you know, I'm just gonna full nuffy here, and I just said, <laughs> said g'day. And oh, it's actually quite awkward. I didn't really want to say this, but I am anyway. I was like, what do I say to Andy Lee? And I just got like a photo with him, and I was like, oh. <laughs> Actually, I don't even want to say this, but I'll say it anyway. I used to live in Richmond, and he used to live in Richmond oh, as well. Oh, did I think you tell him you've like seen him? 
<laughs> I go to him, I'm like, oh, it's kind of weird. I feel like I've seen you like 150 times walking down Swan Street. <laughs> <laughs> he laughed. He laughed. But I was like, I was walking out afterwards. I was like, oh my God, did I just say that? If you ever see him down Swan Street again now, you can't say hello. He's going to think you're following him. <laughs> I don't think I'm ever seeing him again after that. But, uh,. <laughs> You just I'm panicked sorry. though. <laughs> I, I did panic. I actually did panic. I was like, I don't know what to say. Like, I just kind of froze and, and that came out. And I've told a few mates of mine and they're like, mate, what is wrong with you? <laughs> weird stalker. Um, anyway, that was actually going to be at the top of the episode, but I'm glad it's in the main body. Uh, but yeah, just teach you just to calm down when you're meeting famous people, I think. Well, it's hard to know what to say, though, because you know who they are, but they don't know yeah. who you are. So it's like, how do we relate? Yeah. You're acting 100%. like friends, but you, you, they don't have anything to say to you. You've got to, you've got to come out with it. Yeah. Ryan, the, the important point is that you, you made an effort to actually do it. And um, I can't believe you referenced me, um, but <laughs> I still get nervous <laughs> when I uh, see people that I um, uh, admire too. Uh, a recent example... Um, and this is going to sound like I'm shouting, boating a bit here, but uh, I met Sam Kerr at Wembley at a Socceroos match. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, oh, yeah. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> it was through a, through a friend of a friend, I got a very nice invite to, um, to the, the right box at Wembley, and, uh, and Sam Kerr was there. And um, I got told that Sam Kerr was going to be there in advance, and I was like, extremely starstruck and like started getting nervous when I just got told, yeah, Sam Kerr is going to be in the room. But, um, the great thing about Sam Kerr is like, for one, she like surprised me when she arrived in the room. Like I turned around and she was just there and I was like, Oh, Sam. (laughs) And so there was no time to kind of like see her come in, get nervous, think about like going to say hi. It was just like, there's Sam. Hey Sam, I'm Ruben. And then she was lovely enough just to say say hi, a quick hello, and she just wanted a chill night. But um, um, Sam Kerr's one of those people that's very kind of down to earth, which kind of settled me very quickly. So for me, I kind of walked away thinking that someone like Sam Kerr or someone big is actually a lot scarier thinking about it than than actually seeing them in person because they're just yeah, they're pretty like lovely people. Anticipation, and they are. They're just normal people. You have to think of it like that. But um. Yeah, it's or one thing that gets me, and I know we've gone off topic here, but if you go up and like, and it actually, <laughs> it's it happens to me at work a bit. Like you'll go up and um, introduce yourself. You say, oh, "Hi, I'm Sarah," and they'll say, "Oh, hi, I'm," and I'm like, "I know," because I'm like, we've set up this interview. <laughs> like I'm interviewing you because I know you are, and like sometimes I just have to go like, "Oh, okay," like and pretend like. I didn't know that, but sometimes I did it at the WBBL launch. I did it. Um, like I was just, um, who was it? Oh, Jester Anderson. And I was like, uh, hi, I'm Sarah. Hi, I'm Jess. I was like, oh yeah. Like, yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And I got in the car afterwards and I was like, it was like with Andy Lee. I was like, oh God, like I just left it. Like just let her introduce herself. (laughs) Oh, I hate replaying it in your head. You're like, yeah. What have I done? But I, I get what you mean, though. It's like, yeah, they, they introduce themselves. They're like, oh, I'm well aware, mate. Like, I know exactly who you are. But the alternative for them is them to just be like, okay, cool. Like, 
hi, Sarah, and not introduce themselves. So I guess there's not really an alternative. <laughs> yeah. No, they've got to do it. Yeah. All righty. I think we've reached the end. Uh, final question, Sarah. If you could go back to uh, your younger self, uh, about to go live on air for the first time, what advice would you give yourself? You have got this opportunity for a reason and you are not going to be perfect the first time, but you'll do it again and again and you will get better. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Solid advice. <laughs> Try not to be perfect on the first shot because it's it's just too much pressure. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I think we've, uh, I can absolutely say, I've absolutely loved today. A few laughs, which is always fun. Um, but it's also just been fantastic just hearing about your journey to get to where you are. And I think those listening would be able to tell that you are just so passionate about what you do. And that absolutely comes through when you're answering some of our uh, tough questions today. But um, yeah, can't wait to see where you go and we'll absolutely keep following uh, where you're going, AFLW or netball or cricket, whatever it is. It seems like you're just absolutely on the rise at the moment. So thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time and uh, we'll absolutely catch up soon. Oh, guys, vice versa. Thank you. I was very flattered to be asked to be on here. So um, thank you so much, so much for having me and I, I love the work you guys are doing. Guys, it's time now for the people segment of the podcast, Ask Sports Grad, where every week we answer a question directly from our community. If you'd like to ask a question first, you've got to become a Sports Grad member. And like we said at the top of the episode, the time is now to join our last intake of the year. In there, you can ask questions on our Discord server and they come through straight to us to talk about on the podcast. So Rubes, you've got a special one this week. We've gone a little bit a bit wayward of, of centre on this one, which I love. Yes, I'm not going to be answering this question. This question is going to be answered by our community. And uh, this is a great example of how the sports grad community help each other with getting their jobs in sport or achieving whatever goal that they have in mind. So this question comes from Andrea Putra. And he posed a question to the community which says, Hey everyone, I'm interested in learning about the approach you take to structuring your cover letters for job applications. I understand that each cover letter should be tailored to the specific organization and role, but I'm curious if you have a standardized format that serves as a template for crafting cover letters for different positions. Thank you in advance. And uh, our good friend of the show, Chris McPherson, who's also been on the podcast recently, he jumped on it straight away to share one of his insightful methods involves chat GPT. And I love his approach to this. Just have a listen to this. So Chris says, Hey Andrea, I haven't so much used a standardized template. I just use a base structure to format the letter layout and use chat GPT for things such as this. I input some instructions for tone and focus points as well as the job advertisement and my CV and then ask it to spit out a desired length. I then amend slash edit it and find this is much quicker overall. So Andrea, there's a bit of back and forth in this thread and, they, and eventually Chris comes to sharing his uh, chat GPT prompt, which is absolutely brilliant. So if you are thinking about writing a cover letter, maybe try chat GPT for this one. So this is what Chris puts into, into chat GPT. So Chris says, write into chat GPT this, 
You're a highly experienced copywriter with a background in human resources. Please write a professional but semi-formal cover letter with a focus on the following key experiences, taking into consideration the CV and job advertisement description that follows. And then after that, that's when he'll post, that's when he'll copy in his CV and he'll copy in the job description. And ChatGPT takes into consideration all the information and spits it out with the uh, direction that Chris has provided him, saving him a lot of time. I've spent a lot of time writing cover letters over the years and you know, a good one takes an hour to two hours at least before you come back and review it. So to get a base like this from ChatGPT is an absolute game changer. Nice. Part, part of the ChatGPT is just getting the prompt right. You know, So that's the kind of stuff that you really need. So seems Chris, our mate, uh, podcast royalty, has, uh, has absolutely smashed that. Yeah, but as you said, saving a lot of time uh, and it's just about getting that structure right. So another example of great community, uh, I guess, help and, and supporting each other. So great stuff. Awesome. Well, if you'd like to ask us a question or ask our friends in sport a question, become a SportsGrab member. As we said, our last intake for the year is about to start. Uh, so jump on that as you see it on socials. Each week, as we said, we've got virtual events, we've got in-person events, resources, networking, everything that you need to get that foot in the door of the industry. Meanwhile, if you know anyone who'd love the pod, please send it on or give it a share. You can find us on LinkedIn, Insta and TikTok and give us some love with a five-star rating if you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, one last thing before you go. If you'd enjoy a quick email from us each Friday on all the latest job openings, networking events, Q&As with industry professionals and latest podcast episodes, then subscribe to the SportsGrad newsletter. Head to our website, www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. There's also a link in our show notes to join.